The Church Media Podcast, episode number 77, Building Priceless Experiences with Jason Roy and Joel Smallbone. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create a dynamic experiences and build solid media productions we're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world useful practical content in the areas of live production design leadership digital communications and more show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now go to 1230media.com slash podcast and now broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 media here's your host church media coach carl barnhill Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm Carl, coming at you with fresh episodes of the podcast every Monday for you, bringing the best minds in the church media space. Our goal is to help you create memorable experiences and build solid volunteer teams at your church. Before we get rolling this week, I want to let you know about a great new movie to recommend to your production team. It's called Priceless, and it stars Joel Smallbone from the band For King and Country who you'll hear from later in the show. Really, really good movie. Great movie night idea for your team. I suggest creating an events team inside of your production team that plans get-togethers, parties, stuff for your team to do together, and a movie night can be a great idea. I mean, you have a built-in movie theater at your church. Come on. Why not crank up the system and show a movie to your team in your auditorium or your sanctuary? hey, maybe you can crank your sound system up a little louder than you normally would on a Sunday. (laughs) Have fun together. So your next movie night, check out Priceless. It's a good one. All right, this week on the show, I'll share my interviews with two powerhouse artists in the Christian music industry. I talk with Jason Roy, who is the lead singer and founder of the band Building 429. We talked about how the band creates concert experiences and other live events for thousands of fans all around the world. We talked through how they plan concerts, how they execute production elements in their shows, what all goes into building their experiences. He has extensive experience leading worship on a church staff as well and gives some great advice to budding artists and creatives. I'll also share my interview with lead singer of For King and Country, Joel Smallbone, will be in the house. Joel is the younger brother of recording artist Rebecca St. James, who you might have heard of. I talked with Joel about the band and his new movie, Priceless, and how the creative process of making that film went. Two insanely creative and innovative guys uh, in our field. You'll get some great insight from both of these guys today. We'll do Jason Roy first, and I'll set you up with Joel here in just a bit. But first, this week's church media resource brought to you from my friend Brady Shearer from Pro Church Tools. Hit it. And now, your church media resource of the week. Software, websites, gadgets, and tools that will resource your creativity and your ministry. Well, hey there, this is Brady Shearer from ProChurchTools.com, and today I want to share with you a tool that is very important for me and my workflow when it comes to audio, and that is the actual mic that I'm recording this dialogue on right now. It's the Heil PR40, Heil spelt H-E-I-L, and what makes this mic so great is that it blocks out all the sound that's around it. 
Now, right now, you can't hear this, but I'm actually in a 400 square foot studio, incredibly small, and there are five other people in this room with me. They're opening and closing doors, they're typing on their keyboards, they're listening to music, even if it is via their headphones, and all of that noise is getting blocked out by this mic. We actually have a window open, I just heard a truck drive by, but none of that is being picked up by this mic. So it's an affordable mic, just about $300, but what makes it so great is that it blocks out all the sound. So you don't need to have a soundproof room, you don't need to record in a separate space, you don't need to invest in soundproofing and sound absorption panels or anything like that. That's what makes this mic so, so great. So if your church, your ministry does podcasting, does audio work at all, definitely consider checking this mic out, the Heil PR40 spelled H-E-I-L. This is Brady Shearer from ProChurchTools.com. Thanks for listening. For more free resources for your team, visit 1230media.com slash training. This is an exclusive interview from 1230 Media and Carl Barnhill. Get shareable content and free resources for your team at 1230media.com slash podcast. Here's Carl now. Through their songs and high-energy live shows, the Grammy-nominated band Building 429 has been a force in Christian music for the last 15 years. Since the release of their debut album in 2000, the band has passionately given us songs like Where I Belong, We Won't Be Shaken, and others. Their latest release, Unashamed, is available now, and today I welcome by phone lead singer of the band, Jason Roy, to the 1230 blog and podcast. Jason, welcome, man. Thank you so much for hanging out today. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background and and your family like for those who who may not know about you? Uh, Well, I've been married for the last 15 years. A young lady named Courtney, she's uh, amazing. I have two kids. I have a a 13-year-old son. Well, he's soon to be 13-year-old, and I have a 10-year-old daughter. Some son, Avery, is the oldest, and my daughter, Haven, is the youngest. Uh, We live in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is about 35 miles outside of Nashville, um, and uh, we've lived here for the last 10 years. Uh, we're kind of hodgepodge family. We've lived everywhere that there is pretty much to live in, in, in the States. So we kind of found a, a middle point, and that's where we've kind of anchored down. Very cool, man. Now, do you do you still lead worship at your local church there in Clarksville, or uh, are you still involved in, in your local church there, volunteering and well, or serving on staff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I was on staff there for seven years, and I've come off staff uh, this year's the first year that I've been off staff in the last seven years, um, and so. But I still still lead uh, for the church when uh, when they need me to. So I probably, probably I'd say probably I don't know maybe six seven times a year, maybe eight times a year uh, I, I lead and and let the worship pastor have some time off. How did that work with you being on staff and being on tour and and juggling both? Well, you know, it was quite, you used the right word, it's juggling, you know, it wasn't balanced. People say it's always, you know, hey, how do you balance those things? You don't. You focus yeah. on what you have in your hand and, and uh, wait on the next thing to fall and then throw it up, you know, and move to the next. But um, I don't know, man, I, I, I found that, that doing what I do on the road with building has always been uh, a really, it's been one of those cool things where, you know, just when I'm kind of uh, tired of, um of being on the road of building and, and, and everything being super mapped out and super detailed out and perfected, you know, when I'm longing yeah. for a little bit more of that loose kind of, uh, Hey, I, you know, I follow the leader type thing. I get to go to church and be the worship pastor and, 
and uh, and everybody's following me. And then just when I'm about frustrated enough with <laughs> with mm-hmm. that follow the leader thing, I, I jump back into a machine that's unbelievably tight, well oiled, and that we all know the destination we're going to get to every night. Right. Now, um, you guys started. Uh, I guess it's been about 16, 17 years ago now. And uh, you guys were, were starting. I was first getting into Christian radio, so I, I kind of knew about your, your start. You guys have been around for a while. Tell me about your longevity. A lot of bands haven't gone as long as you guys uh, have. And how do you, uh, you know, how have you guys wrestled with that longevity as a band? Well, you know, I think that's one of those things that you, you, you can kind of wrestle with all the time. You know, um, uh, one of the things that, that has been crazy for us is that. You know, we saw a quick um, rise to to great heights, and then we saw a quick fall. And uh, and you know, and I think that one of those I, the only reason that we're really probably still here is that God kind of ordained it. You know, like um, just when we were about to lay it down and, and kind of move on and move to the next phase of life, um, God kind of blew the roof back off of it again. And and it was cool because we were finally in a position where we were ready to handle uh, all of the um, all the adulation and, and all that kind of stuff that came with what we did. You know, I, I think that anytime you put a 21 or 22 year old kid out on the road and you give them, you know, fake, but, but very real rock star status and expect them to be like spiritual leaders for a generation, you're asking for trouble. Uh, there's very few people who are really able to handle that kind of thing. A lot of times these guys are just writing songs from their heart to God and they don't really have a super deep meaning behind it you know what i mean yeah. uh and and then you know thankfully for me i spent years on on staff at the church and and all that depth was kind of grown and and then when we came back around the next time i was actually ready to be a pastoral leader and that's really kind of one of the biggest things that probably separates us from a lot of the bands that came along that, that uh that were really really good but never really uh weren't able to hang in there is, is you have to kind of become one of those bands that is invested in actual ministry and pastoral leadership. Otherwise, you know, you, uh, you get kind of disenfranchised with the whole thing because you're not focused on the ministry side of it, because it's not what people think it is, uh, on the financial or the fame side. D- dive into that for me. What do you mean? Cause we got a lot of, uh, our listeners that are worship leaders and things like that, maybe have aspirations to go on the road, create their own thing. Talk to them for a minute. Why, why is it not as fulfilling as it may seem? Well, I mean, when you're on staff at a church, you know, a lot of people, uh, it's funny, it's all in the perspective, but if you're on staff at a church and you've got a group of people around you who are your accountability, a lot of times you would call them the tether. They tie you down, though, you know, when you want to go out and fly and go do your own artist thing, you know, like you're looking around going, man, I wish these guys would get off my back and let me do what I want to do. But those people are the people that God's kind of put there to, to keep you from completely losing <laughs> all perspective on life in general, you know what I mean, and on what you're doing. But... You know, I think that the road is a very difficult place, and everybody looks at the road and they see the. The problem is that people can't see; they cannot see the Photoshop that goes into the album cover, or the Photoshop that goes into the album itself, or uh, when you see the live music video that gets released by the band where they're playing in arenas, you don't realize that they played that arena one time and they just happen to have a video crew there that moment to shoot it. You know what I mean? They don't, you know, people don't realize that even with smash number one song after smash number one song, which uh, I've I've now had, I think I've had like seven really big number one songs in my career. 
um, those those songs don't keep you from playing small churches in small places and still having a dressing room that used that is normally the uh, the nursery. Right, <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and if your mind and if your heart isn't in the right place, then you get mad and you get frustrated and you you know because everybody wants to be Toby and everybody yeah. wants to be Tate. And everybody wants to be the newsboys, and everybody wants to, you know. There's a reason why the the headliners of our industry haven't changed over 20 years, and it's because it's, it's incredibly difficult to get to that place. And then once you get to that place, you kind of have a stranglehold on everything. And uh, and those guys have worked hard to get there, but everybody thinks they're going to be the next big thing. Nobody thinks that they're going to be the gifted and talented one who uh, spends 15 years playing small churches. You know what I mean? Yeah, so good. Um, now, now your latest album is called Unashamed. Tell me about how the songs for the album were, were written, how that project came together. Tell me about that process. Yeah, well, I mean, we've made eight, eight records, and every record usually has about 75 to 100 songs that are written for it. Um, and this record, it was very, very clear from the beginning that, that you know, the record before was called We Won't Be Shaken, and it was a Grammy-nominated record, and, and we were very, very proud of that record. We kind of went and did some things that were unorthodox on that record. And we really felt like we pushed the limits of what our fan base could handle, uh, both in writing, uh, may, be it lyrically, lyrically uh, or sonically. And on this record, um, we really felt like, you know, we pushed the limits in the last one. We, we want to really kind of get back to the bare bones of, of like the building blocks of our faith and, and title a record unashamed. And we, we kind of knew that that's where we were going with it. And, and we wanted to wrap every single song around the body of Christ and around the encouragement of the body of Christ. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, uh, unashamed was the first song that really kind of came together. It felt like it was the right thing. And, um, and it was really cool because, you know, every song after that kind of fell into place as well. And, and the process, man, the process took a year of, of writing followed by, probably, you know, like, I don't know, six weeks of recording and which is so funny that six weeks of recording used to be, that used to be almost six months of recording, <laughs> but now it's tightened up and it's down to six weeks of recording. And then, uh, and then finally, uh, master mix master and all that kind of stuff and, and out to the, out to the presses. But, um, you know, I feel like we really wrote a record that was for the body of Christ that was for um, believers and that would hopefully be an encouragement to them wherever they were. Now, speaking of that, it kind of started a movement. You guys started a website where people can kind of share their stories and photos and things like that. Tell me how that, that movement uh, started. Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth is, is that, you know, the unashamed idea, you know, everybody's heard that I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's the power of God for salvation for anybody who would choose to believe. Everybody's heard that. We all know what that is. Um, but, you know, as I was digging into the, the concept of unashamed, one of the things that I ran into was the reality that, that I personally cannot be um, – it, it's impossible to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ if you're still ashamed of who you are and ashamed of your own story and ashamed of the failures that you've had and the mistakes that you've made. And um, at least for me it is, because the problem is that we as believers, we begin to start worried about, well, I'm unashamed of the gospel, but – but what about this in my life that I haven't really been able to get under control yet? Or what about this from my past that nobody knows about? It kind of leaves you hanging out. There's almost like a politician who has a, a little, you know, like a white lie back there that they're worried there's going to be 
found, you know. And one of the things that I really ran into as I was even writing this record was was trying to be as open and honest as I possibly could be with my own failures and with my own mistakes because um, because that same grace, I'll say it like this. Uh, our brokenness is a far greater bridge to other people than our pretend wholeness could ever be. And so we created this website, a place where people could come and, and share their failures, share share um, their victories, but also, more than anything, uh, find accountability to remind themselves who they are in Christ. You know, people say a friend is someone who accepts you for who you are, and I just believe that's a horrible lie. <laughs> I believe a friend is someone who reminds you who you could be. And so we just really wanted to create a website and a resource that would help remind people who they are, who they can be, and who they're called to be. And, uh, and that's what the Unashamed uh, movement was all about. Now, our ministry serves church media staff and volunteers, guys who uh, create experiences at their churches week in and week out. Now, one of the reasons we have Christian music artists on like you is uh, to give us insight into kind of what goes into creating an experience. In your case, it's concerts and live events. Tell me about your involvement in creating and forming your concert experience for a tour. How does the process start? Who's involved? Kind of walk me through that. Right, right. Well, um, the first thing that I would say is that it starts with um, the, the the basic elements. You know, it starts with the songs uh, first and foremost. And and really what we do is we take, we say, okay, what do we feel like God is saying? You know, like what, what do we feel like God wants us to say on this tour? And for us, what we felt like on our last tour that we, God wanted us to instill in people was that we were, we were unashamed of the gospel. And why? Why would we say that? Well, because we believe that there's hope in the gospel, and we believe that the world is, is in a hopeless state looking for hope. But then, then you dig it a little bit further, and you go, okay, well, if that's what we believe, then, then we need to go back to the basic fundamentals of our faith. Why do we believe that the Word of God is true? Why do we believe that Jesus is who He says He was? And we kind of created this whole... Um, this whole moment uh, when we started talking about how do we create a moment in the show where we reinforce and bolster people's faith and then encourage them to go out and take that great courage that they have just gained by hearing uh, all these facts and all this, all this, all these realities about uh, the gospel. Um, and then how do, how do we inspire people to go out and share their faith the same way that we ourselves have experienced sharing our faith. And so, um, so that's really where it starts for us. Uh, with that in mind, then I go to, a, and, and that all starts with me. Uh, I'm kind of the guy who's the idea guy in Building 429. And then I'll go in and sit down in a production meeting, and I'll map out all of my crazy ideas. And there's, there's nothing that, that, that is wrong. There is no idea that's too big or too small. You know, we act like we're you 2 for the first, you know, <laughs> the first uh, hour or so of the meeting. And then we start, we bring my production guy in. We say, hey, what do you think we can pull off with this, this, these constraints on our budget from a production standpoint, be it lighting, be it audio? And then we start kind of walking through what the production package is going to look like. You have to think about truck pack. You have to think about loading it in and loading it out every night. And then you have to start thinking about now, how do we craft uh, an event that's, you know, an hour and a half, two hours long, maybe sometimes two and a half hours long, that's enjoyable, that has ebbs and flows, and, uh, and it gets to a climax of a, of a point where you're going to give them some great uh, uh, activation point, some great moment where they can actually take what they've learned or what they've heard and run with it out the door as they go back into uh, their world. And, 
and really that looks like sitting in probably, I don't know, six meetings. It looks like uh, those meetings are probably four hours each, and and it looks like countless uh, phone calls late into the night with management, and uh, and then it, you just kind of tweak away on it until you get the tour rehearsals. Tour rehearsals, everything gets loaded in, everything gets set up, and I come in without a band, and I start running, uh, playing the music back and letting my lighting guy show me how he thinks he can make the moments that I had in my head work, uh, special effects, all that kind of stuff. We spend a week in tour rehearsals, then we take two days off and go play the first one and the tweaking continues from there uh on this last tour we played uh 24 shows honestly the show was not perfect until show number probably 15 or 16 and even then i still wanted to tweak even more which drives my crew crazy <laughs> but it's always a moving target and and really if i'm the mouthpiece then everything gets wrapped around me and uh, and and every single night that I come off the stage, I have a drummer and a, a band who I ask, "What could I do better?" And they they tell me, and I do the same with them. And every single night that I come off the stage, my my production crew the same thing. Uh, and you know, those that's the way that we approach it. Now you mentioned your production guy and how the show is so tight. Tell me your relationship with him and. How did that that start? How'd you get to know him, and what what are the con- kind of conversations and relationship that you guys have? Yeah, well, my production guy's name is Justin Hugus. Uh, he's a gifted, gifted young man. He 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 came into our system as a as an intern uh, four years ago. And he just came out of college and was looking for something to do in the summer and learn to learn what what, what we do. And he came out and he uh, he kind of uh, did guitar changes and stuff like that. And then we realized he was a, a an engineer and he jumped on the monitor console and all of a sudden my in-ear monitors started sounding amazing. And then time passed and our front of house engineer left and we gave him, or he, he ran sound for the openers on our tours. And I remember going out and listening to him going, wow, this kid's good, you know? And, and then when our front of house engineer left, we just slid him out there and he, uh, he began kind of honing his craft up front, which was a completely different thing. I mean, he went from playing, from being the front of house engineer uh, in 600 seat rooms to then playing 10 to 15,000 seat arenas uh, on the last three tours that we did. And he is now pretty much mixed in every possible venue that there is to mix. And, and, uh, and he's got an eye for production. And my, my conversations with him every night are, what do you need out of me more vocally? Um, what, what, what can I do to change the the flow of the show? What about this pad that the, he and I are over every detail of the show and we're, and we're talking about it constantly. And, uh, it's, it's a constant form of communication. There are times when I come off stage and I go, man, there was this low frequency hum for about 30 seconds in the middle of the intro of this song. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed, I'm sorry. You know, like the, the, we have a cocktail kit. You know, the cocktail kit was too close to the subs, and I accidentally had the microphones on. Like, okay, well, let's let's not let's not let that happen again. And, but then there's times when he comes to me, he's like, "Man, hey, when you do the when you play the drums, dude, you cannot leave your microphone pointed right at the snare drum." <laughs> you know, so so it's a constant communication, and and he's always coming to me saying, "You know, this song really worked well, but I think it would work better if we moved it to another location in the set." And I think that. The way that you worded this phrase, if you would word it like this, I think it would connect with people's hearts a little bit better. So it's it's an all hands on deck, and there is no pride uh, when we start talking about how to make things better for the people who come to our concerts. And that's the way it should be 
uh, not only at, at a at a building four twenty nine show, but it was the way it was at my church as well. We we had very blatantly open and honest conversations, not calling anybody out and telling them they did anything wrong, but saying, "Hey, you can do this better." And uh, and I think that's what makes a team great. Well, speaking of churches, what advice uh, would you give to church media directors and volunteers who are creating worship services and experiences on Sunday, week in, week out? Not a concert experience necessarily, but a just a week-in, week-out worship experience. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. One of the things that Building 429, we, we always say, and this is something that's true, what people don't, at my church, um, actually, the guy who runs everything, he's our, our tech director at our church, and he, he worked for me for 10 years on the road with Building 429. I mean, he was in charge of everything, my entire world on the road. So he and I have an unbelievable relationship. And when we're at church, we talk about it like we talk about this the same way. Um, we don't, we're not trying to pull things out of thin air uh, to make a service cool or anything like that. We, we want to make sure we don't do anything uh, without uh, an eye on excellence, which basically means if you have, if you have 20, Quay packy Sharpie, like, you know, Sharpie lights that you want to put in for a service. If you can't actually program them well and pro and, and do it correctly, then we'd rather you walk out there on stage with, with park hands on and an acoustic guitar and lead well than to be a distraction from the spirit of God. And, and so I just encourage people out there, you have to dream big, you have to dream big and go for it. But, but in a church service is not a time to be experimenting. It's not a time to, Hey, let's see what that light will do. Uh, and that's one of the, probably one of the things that, or, Hey, let's, let's put a delay on his vocal and, and see if we can trail it off for the next 10 seconds. Cause it'd be a cool way to end the song. Um, one of the things that we really talk about is we experiment in the rehearsals to know exactly what we're going to do during the actual service and during the actual show. If you haven't tried something before, uh, and you haven't mastered a skill before the service begins or the show begins, then don't ever do it during a service or during a show because we are uh, very, in my opinion, even in the Building 429 show and even in a church service, we are absolutely talking about the Spirit of God, which has the power to draw men's heart. Don't even need your flashy lights, you know? We don't even... So funny, Moses somehow was able to speak to, you know, all these people didn't have a PA. You know why? Because yeah. he had the Holy Spirit of God. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, uh, and I just encourage people, keep it simple and let experiences happen. Like, I, I don't want to fabricate an experience with God. I don't want somebody you know, like feeling like they had an experience with God, but it's because the vocalist just was such a great singer. No, we want the Holy Spirit to come first. And, uh, and that has done us great services, both at my church and on the road. That's a good word, man. Well, man, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it and uh, and all your insight. Yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Jason Roy, lead singer of the band Building 429. Be sure to catch their latest Unashamed in stores now or at building429.com. We're all on a journey. It seems somewhere along the way I took a wrong turn. So many regrets, so many mistakes. But I want to stay with you, Daddy. And then it happened. And I never even saw it coming. You look beat. 
you hauling? I'm nothing, really. Now, why would you have to go through all that? You're just hauling nothing. Not just for once. Wanted to do the right thing. We want to thank you for helping us. We want to be here. I want to be a singer, like Taylor Swift. Do you like Taylor Swift? No. <laughs> Did I fail them? There's no luck, huh? Did I do what needed to be done? Hey, the, the girls, where are you taking? It's not your problem. Happy trails. You obviously know something about this. Then help me. Well, if you're hearing a little voice that's telling you to stay, that there's a larger hand at play here, then you might want to listen to that voice. These girls don't belong to you. Those girls don't belong to anyone. You go down this road, you can't go back to normal life again. There's some bad dudes who are gonna kill you. My friendship comes at a cost. This is not what love looks like. I wanna shut this thing down. I see you dressed in How could you just leave us? You have to trust me. That word is broken for you. I'm gonna make this right. Joel Smallbone stars in Priceless, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Guys, you've got to check out this movie, Priceless. As you just heard, it's a thriller. It's a suspenseful movie about a pretty serious topic, that of human trafficking. I had the opportunity to chat with the film's lead, Joel Smallbone, who is also one half of the music duo for King & Country. I talked with Joel right when the movie was being released in theaters, We also talked through his experience in creating powerful moments through music, live events, and now film. Check this out. Hey guys, I have Joel Smallbone on the line with me. Joel is the writer, producer, and frontman for the Grammy Award winning group for King and Country. Him and his brother Luke have seen great success with the band, selling over 1 million albums, seen 100 million streams of their music, and have headlined tours across the country. With their new project, they dive into the world of filmmaking with the film Priceless. Joel, welcome, man. Thank you so much for being here. G'day, Carl. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, man. Man, I love the Australian accent. Um, I could just listen to you for, for days. <laughs> you, you know, it's so funny. It's all about frame of reference. Carl, if you were to go over to Australia, everyone would be like, mate, I love your accent. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We're, we're, we're mixing uh, Southern with Australian in this interview. So I think we're going to get some good good stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, now, you guys formed the band for King & Country a few years ago. I used to chat with your sister uh, quite often when I was in Christian radio back in the day. And uh, for those who don't mm-hmm. know, uh, Joel and Luke are the younger brothers of Rebecca St. James, a recording artist. Uh, and your dad's a producer, right? It's a big family affair, right? Your yeah, dad, that's sort of more, on, I was always more on the business side of right. things. He's, uh, he managed Rebecca during her time as an artist and, and uh, manages us as well. Got you. Um, all right, so I, I want to dive into this uh, this movie, Priceless. This started with your song, right? Tell me about the, the Priceless movement. Well, actually, interestingly enough, Carl, it, it started... Uh, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning and kind of walk you through the, the process. So about, what, was five years ago, 
um, Luke and I formed uh, this group for King Country, and uh, simultaneously to that, uh, Luke had just gotten married, and I had I, I met my now wife Mariah at his wedding. It was a setup, and and uh, she was brought as a plus one. She was kind of a wedding crasher of sorts, if you will, and uh, and it worked. And so simultaneously, we started traveling as a band, and this this idea of relationships and and love commitment. Romance was kind of very keen on our hearts and minds. And so we shared, probably for about 30, 40 seconds on stage, we felt moved to share just a real simple message of uh, charging us as men to be serious in how we love and celebrating a woman's worth. And one of the physical, tangible things we did during that time was we, uh, and still today we do, we brought over a whole bunch of Australian coins and we framed them and we made necklaces out of them. And we called it the priceless necklace. And uh, we've, to date, I think we've seen about 300,000 men and women, boys and girls in this country, grab one of these necklaces or one of the bracelets um, uh, to really show that they're supportive of this mission. And it, uh, it was kind of, everyone was exciting, obviously, to see the response, but it was almost alarming how it felt like our generation was kind of starving for this affirmation. So about, I don't know, two and a half years ago, give or take, we went to our brother Ben uh, in the midst of all this, who's a filmmaker, and we said, look, uh, uh, we, we, it seems as though there's a, there's a story that needs to be told here. Um, what about taking this message to the silver screen? And I don't think we knew what we were asking at the time, but literally from that moment, Carl, from... The inception of story to me, I was one of, I'm one of the actors in the film, Luke's one of the producers, and now to it being in theaters nationwide, we've kind of taken, uh, we've seen it from beginning, middle to end, and the song, Priceless, actually was kind of, was written in the middle of the process. So the film, the movement came first, then the film, and then actually, uh, believe it or not, then the song came, which is a bit backwards for musicians, you know. Now, this, this is the story of Jane Stevens, right? How did that come to you? How did all that kind of kind of form? How did the story start start forming? So when we mentioned to Ben, our brother, about uh, the film uh, idea, his eyes lit up, and he said, oh, I've got this. He recalled a documentary that he was one of the editors on the project. This was years prior. And he said, this story has always stuck with me. And it really feels like it's uh, the sentiment, uh, it's a true story, and it's the sentiment of what we're kind of aiming for with this film. And so we pulled inspiration from that story and kind of married it to the idea of the priceless movement. And um, I play, as you mentioned, I play a character by the name of James in the film, who is he's a normal bloke, but speaking of accents, he's actually, he's, he's a... Uh, He's an American, so I had to lose the uh, the Aussie twang, if you will. I had a great mm. dialect coach by the name of Steve Corona, who uh, I worked very closely with on the project. And um, he's he's worked with some great international actors, Helen Merritt, Gerard Butler, to name a few. But so he helped kick the kick the Australian out of me. But uh, my my character's normal bloke. He he just lost his wife. Uh, his wife passed away in a tragic accident and kind of derailed after that. It was in and out of prison, couldn't hold a steady job. And as a result, his daughter, his only daughter, was taken from him by child services. And so kind of in this desperate moment, 
is where the film picks up. This desperate moment to get his life back on track, and he he takes a an under the table transportation job to drive a truck a pretty long distance straight through, no questions asked, and um, uh, you know he sees it as really an, uh, an opportunity to get his life back on track, get his daughter back. And, but midway through the trip, he falls asleep at the wheel and runs off the road, careens into a ditch. And, and um, as he's out surveying the truck, he hears crying in the back. He realizes not what he's carrying, but who. He's got two sisters in the back of his truck. So he invites them into the cab naturally, and, and they think they're coming to be a maid, a waitress. He kind of takes them at their word and uh, is very drawn to the elder of the two sisters, her strength and resolve. Um, in, in the face of hardship. and But no sooner than that, he gets to the drop-off point. He meets a man by the name of Garo, who's played by Jim Perry from Suicide Squads and, and Anchorman, and, uh, excuse me, not Anchorman, uh, Fury. And he, uh, and he, and he, he loses the girls. He incidentally sells them into slavery, James does. So he's, he's uh, obviously now, at this point, he's lost his wife, his daughter's been taken from him, and now he's kind of betrayed these two girls. He's just beside himself. So he meets a, a hotel owner by the name of uh, Dale, played by David Ketner, from, from uh, Anchorman and from The Office. And they become this sort of detective duo, crime-fighting team in an effort to get the girls back. All the while, Antonia, the elder of the two sisters, is really a bit of a heroine in the film. Her strength and character and resolve uh, and faith is really impacting James kind of more mentally and spiritually, if you will. Now, you talked about some of the cast. Uh, I was really amazed with, uh, I saw a, a screening of the film the other night, and David Koechner's performance especially, and yours as well, yeah. but but to, yeah. to see him in kind of a different role. Uh, talk to me about the cast and, and your experience with, with your other cast members in the film. Yeah, well, they, I mean, tonight, just to name a few of them, Jim and David, obviously, are very notable um, Credible actors. Uh, the young lady that played Antonia Bianca Santos, she uh, is kind of an up and coming. She's from uh, the Duff and from the Fosters and um, that Awuji, the original. They just released a sequel to that. And, um, so, I mean, I was, I, I'm going to be frank, I was pretty frightened. You know, I've done two features, and Ben and I, my brother, we would always do these short films growing up in our, you know, back the backyard of our parents' farm kind of thing, like Indiana Jones sort of stuff, um, as, as a lot of kids do with Super 8 cameras and all the rest of it. But uh, this was my first real, like, I was in a lot of ways carrying the, 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 the film, or my character was. And so to be put beside these other, these other notable actors was exciting, but it was so daunting because, you know, like any professional, they can sort of make the inferior in the group look a little silly, um, and I was worried that they'd have this kind of attitude of like, all right, yeah, you know, here's the musician, here's the guy in the band, course, classic situation, wants to be the front guy, and and kind of belittle me on screen. And on the contrary, Carl, they just, they really held me up, wrapped their arms around me as actors and, and supported me in a very special way, which was uh, very exciting for me. That's great to hear. Um, we talked to Lisa Arnold a few weeks ago who directed the film Cage No More about human trafficking, and you guys tackled the same issue in this movie, right? What, what made you include this subject matter in the film? 
Well, this is, um, which, by the way, Lisa's a dear woman and a, and a good friend and uh, a lot of love and respect for her. But this, uh, this film, well, one of the great questions we asked ourselves at the beginning was, okay, well, if this whole idea is priceless and, and, and a woman's, and we're kind of circling around a woman's work, what's the antithesis of that? And, and naturally, simply said, it's that love can be bought or that intimacy can be bought. And, uh, and so there is a portion that kind of steps into that world. And it's also, it feels as though this, this subject of slavery, prostitution, um, and trafficking is kind of the, the epidemic of our age that really has a way of impacting our children and our grandchildren. And so there's a part of it that hopefully through the film to shed light on that world as well. But um, it was really to create an allegory of uh, the way that you know, under God, uh, you know, a woman was created uh, as an image bearer of God, as was humanity, and to really represent that no life should be, uh, should, there should not ever be a price put on a life. Now, you've been a strong proponent of speaking to men about how to treat women in their lives with your concerts and, and speaking and things like that. What are some of the things that you share usually on this issue? Well, it's, it's funny because I, in, with the band and so often the, I, you know, for lack of better words, the teacher becomes the taught in that part of the reason I think Luke and I have felt so prompted to share about this is because we're in it. You know, Luke's a father too and married and I've, I've been married for a little over three years. And uh, it's almost the charge starts with us, and so I, the, the the message is 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 kind of simple. It's for us to, to to really step up and stand out and love extraordinarily to lay down our lives for our wives. And uh, it's it's sort of when you contrast. I heard someone say the other day in a modern context that women, uh, men are looking for sex and finding love and women are looking for love and finding sex. It's the, the primal side of a man, which, you know, this instinctual, sensual side, it's a beautiful thing in its context, but he's been so glorified and so sort of uplifted in a modern context that I think the, the truer, deeper, more honest side of a man, this noble, um, you know, committed, reasonable, uh, karma side of a man has been kind of lost a bit, um, or belittled a bit by the by by this kind of context of modern society and sensuality. And so, our hope is is to really just have start a bit of a conversation with with our audience through the music and now obviously through this film and just saying, hey, it's um, it's time for us to 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 love well and 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 to get back to really what it means to be a man with a capital M. Now, this message is so important, I think, in, in today's culture, especially I mean, with our our election going on and things that are talked about with, yeah. with that. And and then the divorce rate is so, or, or divorce is so flippant in our culture that, oh, if it doesn't work out, uh, I'll just go on to the next marriage or whatever, that, that this message is really standing out. Are you, and different, uh, definitely countercultural. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that as you travel around and speak? I find that a lot of, a lot of folks are um, 
just really thankful and grateful. And you would think, yeah, maybe first of all, it's parents and, and grandparents, and it is partially, but I find that it's a lot of young women and a lot of, a lot of men um, because there, there seems to have been men in this conversation of relationships and, and stepping up and stand up. For whatever reason, we have been uh, eerily silent in the matter. And um, I don't know if we're frightened, I, you know, and it might be part of I felt, I felt that at points with the cultural context, like, gee whiz, you know, we're really going to stand on a stage every night and, and share this, 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 uh, this idea. Um, but remarkably, Carl, and it's been a bit of an encouragement that what, what we've really sensed is just deep gratefulness for the most part and thankfulness that someone is actually mentioning this and, and aiming to, to live it out. This kind of goes with what you're with what you're saying. When people watch the movie, when they walk out of the theater, what conversations do you want them having, or what what are you guys praying will happen through this movie? Mm. Well, I think there's two there's two questions I hope that are asked. I hope it's a conversation starter. First of all, I hope people go, you know, who who am I, and and what's you know. Where am I in this equation? But I, I think there's an internal question that it begs to be asked, and that is, you know, am I sort of feeding the monster as a man with pornography or the way I speak about a woman to a woman, the way I sort of treat her like an object or whatever else it might be? Am I, am I, am I adding to the problem or am, am I part of the solution? Uh, to women, you know, kind of where am I finding my self-worth? Is it in who I am based on the man that I have on my arm? Is it based on, you know, my figure or, or the way I dress? Or is it in the fact that I'm an image bearer of God and that I'm unique and that, I, that there's no one like me in the world? And then there's this the kind of global question, as you mentioned, of, well, what's in this modern context, what's my, what's my greater role and responsibility here? Um, to step in culturally, to step in, uh, in in my community and actually do something about this. And how can we connect with you online, stay connected with the band and what you guys are doing? Yeah. Um, for King and Country, all spelt out, dot com is our website. And then I'm a bit of an Instagrammer, so I'm, I'm, I spend most of my time on Instagram, uh, okay. which is just Instagram.com forward slash uh, for King and Country, all spelled out. But, you know, you can see us on Facebook, um, Twitter, uh, uh, you know, most platforms we're around. Gotcha. Well, man, thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on. I wish you success with the movie and the book and the band and everything that you got going on, man. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media and Carl Barnhill. Get exclusive content for your team online now at 1230media.com. That wraps things up for us this week. For more on Jason and Joel and the bands that they lead, we've loaded up the show notes page for this episode with some great videos and other interviews with these guys. You can also download a free transcript and get links to some cool Building 429 and for King and Country music, videos, gear, and more. All at 1230media.com forward slash 077 as in episode number 77. 
on the next Church Media Podcast. Next week on the show, I start a two-week series with my friend Jared Hogue. Jared spent 15 years working as the Global Kids Director at Church on the Move in Tulsa. He now owns and operates Creative Sheep, a company that produces media content for ministries all around the world. Next week, we'll be talking with Jared about how to create an effective internship program at your church. That'll be fun. And in two weeks, we'll welcome Jared back for more to chat about how to change your volunteer culture. A nice one-two punch the next couple of weeks on the show. So stay with us each week. Don't miss it. I want to thank the legend David Michael Hyde. DavidMichaelHyde.com is his online hideaway. You can find him there dropping it like it's hot and creating music for film and digital media. Thank you for listening this week. Go out there, guys, and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. Catch you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast.